feel like I ought to be preaching on giving this morning. Such an excellent example here of how much fun it is to give. Uh, once again, I commend the congregation for responding the way they did. But that's not our topic today. We're talking about uh, our theme this year is building a sure foundation. Talking about building a sure foundation for the congregation here at Northside, actually. And I hope that we continue to serve well and for many, many years. Our current series that we're working on and finishing the year with is entitled Perfectly United, talking about unity. Uh, so far, we've looked at the importance of unity. We talked about how important it is uh, because it works, uh, because it's who we are. We are the body of Christ. We're supposed to be unified. Uh, it's what Jesus prayed for. He prayed specifically that his followers would be one, and that's how the world would know that uh, he was. We were from him. Uh, We talked about what causes division, and if I could sum that up in just one sentence or two, uh, the point was that the spirit always produces unity, and the flesh always produces division. Uh, When you see division, the flesh is responsible somewhere in there. Uh, And then we talked about how you can create unity, and gave you a number of tips of things that we can do here at Northside to create Unity. Our key verse, 1 Corinthians 1.10, uh, where Paul wrote to a congregation that wasn't unified. They were having quarrels and divisions. And he wrote to them and appealed to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. That you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So that's our goal. Today, uh, let's talk about united in doctrine. Uh, And we'll go through a number of things that we need to work on to be united in. And we're going to start with doctrine, which may seem uh, like a hard one, but it's really the easiest, I think, uh, because we rarely divide over doctrine. Uh, There are some divisions in the body of Christ over uh, doctrine, and we'll talk about some of those later. But uh, within the local congregation, uh, when divisions come, uh, if divisions ever come at Northside, uh, I don't think they'll come over doctrine. It's possible, but I don't think so. I think it'll be the flesh uh, and personalities and people and, and Satan working among us that way. But we still need to understand this concept of doctrine. Uh, it's very important for a number of reasons. So let's start with this. What is doctrine? We need to understand that. I think that's part of our problem is we don't always understand what it is. Uh, and it's mentioned in the Bible. I've put a number of verses on your handout. First Timothy 1.10 says, If there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Second Timothy 4.3 says, The time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. Titus 1.9, Paul told Titus, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. That's an instruction for elders. And Titus 2.1 says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Obviously, this is a key topic in the New Testament. Sound doctrine is important. And we should want to be a sound doctrine church. When I was Googling for pictures, I found there is a place called the Sound Doctrine Church. I don't know where it is or what they do or what they believe, but they think they're the sound doctrine church anyway. And that's a pretty good goal 
to be a sound doctrine church. Uh, churches of Christ, that's our plea, is to follow the Bible and have sound doctrine. Uh, I got to thinking about it and I looked for some different websites that uh, have advertisements where churches of Christ are looking for preachers and uh, I went through a number of classified ads and I just put a few samples there on your handout for you. Uh, what's included in the qualifications for preachers uh, that a church of Christ is seeking. And here's a few of them. In Alabama, they want an effective communicator with command of sound biblical doctrine. In Arkansas, the church there, a church there, wants somebody that is doctrinally sound with a balance of truth and love. California wants someone who is sound in the word and experienced. Florida, they want somebody with dynamic preaching ability while adhering strictly to the Bible. Illinois wants a preacher who can hold the line on preaching the gospel without addition or subtraction. And Titus 2 1, or excuse me, in Kansas, they, they want somebody who is biblically sound. Well, my guess is that those advertisements, which all sound exactly the same, probably mean different things in different places. Just my guess. Uh, because sound doctrine is easy to say, and it's easy to uh, profess that we have sound doctrine, or we want sound doctrine, we want somebody to preach sound doctrine. But exactly what's that mean? I saw a cartoon while I was looking around, a barbed wire fence around this place, and it says on the fence, sound doctrine only within this enclosure. I think there are some churches like that. Uh, we have sound doctrine. We know what it is. We don't want anything else inside. Uh, we're going to protect this place, and we're going to have sound doctrine. Well, within reason, that's a good goal. But for all of this to make sense, we should define doctrine. I put the dictionary definition of doctrine on your handout for you and just a few uh, pieces of that. It talks about a doctrine being something that is taught. It's a position that is taught or advocated. It's also a body of teachings. You can speak of the doctrine of that church. Some synonyms for it are a tenet or a dogma or a precept or a belief. I want you to understand that a doctrine is not just a verse. A doctrine is a compendium of teachings about something that the Bible teaches that we have come to that conclusion by studying. For instance, I'll know your Bible a lot of times. We'll get a questioner, questioner and they will say, where does it say this? You know, you believe this. Where is that verse that says that? And we a lot of times say, well, there isn't a verse that says that. But if you study the Bible, if you look at this verse and this verse and this context and this verse and this teaching, and you put that all together, this is the doctrine. This is what the Bible teaches. If you sit down and work at it and read and study a little bit, you can figure out that this is my teaching on this. So that's what a doctrine is. Uh, for instance, I teach a class every once in a while about the Holy Spirit, and the last few times I've taught it, I call it a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It takes six months to get through it. 
There's not a verse that says, or there's not a chapter that says, here's everything you have to know about the Holy Spirit. But if you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and consider everything it says and put it all together and work at it for a while, you can come up with a teaching, a position, a tenet, a body of teaching about the Holy Spirit. That's my doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, I'll admit, not everybody agrees with it. Not everybody that has studied the topic may come up with exactly the same conclusion, but that's what a doctrine is. So when we say we want sound doctrine, when we say we want to hold fast to sound doctrine, we have to understand that that is a a teaching, a a collection of teachings about a subject that we have come to by studying. Now, a famous slogan of the Restoration Movement that we quote every once in a while. Somebody said, actually somebody said it way, way before the Restoration Movement, but it became famous during the Restoration Movement. Somebody said, in matters of faith, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. In all things, love. That's a good slogan. If you understand what matters of faith are and what matters of opinion are. And we'll talk about that in just a little while. But here's the concept. If doctrines are things that you have to to study and find out in the Bible and work at a little bit, uh, it matters of faith. In the real clear things of faith, let's be unified. In things that maybe opinion comes into some, let's be tolerant. Let's have liberty. But in everything we're doing, let's have love. That's a good principle. But let's see if we can expand that and understand it even better and make sure we know how to be united in doctrine. Let's start here. I would propose that there's different levels of doctrines. Now, those ads for preachers don't say that. They just say you've got to be sound in doctrine. Like it's all one big thing. But I'd say there's different levels, and let's think through that. First... Let's understand that some doctrines, some teachings, some things in the Bible are essential for salvation. They're very clear. They're stated as such. You can look through the Bible and you look for things. If you look for the word must, if you find a verse that says you must do this or believe this, that's probably pretty important. You look for verses that say, if you don't do this, you're not in Christ. You don't have God. If you look for those kind of teachings, you'll, you'll come up with a list pretty quickly of things that are essential to salvation. For instance, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must must believe that he exists. Well, that's pretty essential, isn't it? If you're going to come to God, you must believe that he exists. That's essential. There's no way around that. Somebody comes in and says, I want to be part of your fellowship. Well, do you believe that God exists? No. Well, you can't be part of our fellowship. That's essential. You can't be saved without that. And you keep looking for those kind of verses. You'll find 1 John 5, 1 says that you must believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
must believe he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the Son of God. You must believe that. 1 Corinthians 15, passage that was all already read for you in verse 1. Listen to this. Paul says, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Okay? When we saw those commercial, those ads for preachers, a sound doctrine, somebody that teaches sound doctrine, somebody that takes their stand on that. Yeah, that's true. But listen to what Paul says. He says, this is the gospel. This is the good news I preach to you. And this is what you stand on. Well, you think, man, we're going to have a long list here of things. And what's Paul say? He says, by this gospel, you are saved. This is what saves you. And what he says is, this is of first importance. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And he was seen by people after that. Paul's done. That's the end of the list. That's the gospel. That's the good news. This is what you stand on. This is what saves you. The person and work of Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38 A direct answer to a direct question. People found out, they already knew God was God. They found out Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And they said, what do we do? What do we do about that? And Peter directly answered their questions. He said, you repent. That's a direct answer. That's a must. That's an essential. Second part of Acts 2.38, he said, you repent and you be baptized. That is what forgives your sins. That's when your sins are forgiven. That's a must. That's an essential. That's non-negotiable. So you look through the whole New Testament and you'll find some of those things. You won't find very many. But you'll find some essentials. Those are things that give us spiritual unity. That unite us spiritually in Christ. That puts us into Christ and we are saved by believing and obeying those things. Brother Brian prayed this morning before our communion and he said we are united with other Christians. Around the city and around the state and around the world and throughout time. What unites us? What we just talked about. That we believe God exists. That we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we believe that he died for us and was buried and rose again on the third day. Those are the things that unite us and make us one. Give us spiritual unity. So that's the first thing. Understand that. Now second, if we're going to understand doctrine, we need to know that God has spoken truth. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. We have been entrusted with the very words of God. I'm quoting Scripture now. Jesus said, your word is truth. So when we understand that what we have in the New Testament is God's word, it is truth. We've been entrusted with the very words of God. It's very important. It's 
teachings, its doctrine, that while they don't save us, they're important. They are important for living an abundant life. They're important for knowing how to worship God. They're important for knowing how to organize the church. They're important for knowing how to deal with problems in the church and in our lives. In fact, that's our plea among churches of Christ is, let's just follow the Word of God. The doctrine, the teachings that are in there are important, and they'll straighten everything out. Why is the religious world so divided? Because we believe we don't study the Bible right. Study the Bible together and come to the conclusion of what's important doctrines in there, and we'd be unified. So these doctrines, while they aren't at the level of essential to salvation, let's say, are very, very important. And we are obligated as God's people. He tells us, you come to the knowledge of the truth. He tells us to keep growing in knowledge. I think we're obligated as Christians. No, I know we're obligated as Christians to seek the truth and to know the truth and to believe the truth and to love the truth and to teach the truth. There is truth in this book beyond what is just essential to salvation. We sang a song a minute ago. These truths, His Word, secures our heart. These words, this truth, leads our way. It guides our youth. It supports our old age. They're important things that we need to know and understand and teach and love. They're necessary for Christian maturity. You can't grow up if you don't know those doctrines, those teachings. They're necessary for Christian joy. If if you're wrong on some doctrines, you can't have Christian joy. You can't have assurance if you're wrong on Christian doctrines. True doctrine, properly understood doctrines, preserve the integrity of the visible church. Those things that are essential for salvation make the church the unseen church, the worldwide invisible church, but the integrity of the visible church depends on understanding doctrine. Understanding doctrines correctly qualifies one for teaching and for leadership roles. So they're very, very important. And the reason I stress that is some people look at that slogan in matters of faith unity and in matters of opinion liberty, and they say, well, nothing else matters as long as we agree on the essential thing. You can believe anything you want. No, you can't. They're essential for doctrinal unity. So some things are essential for salvation. God has spoken truth, and we need to discern it. And thirdly, we need to admit that some things are hard to understand. When I talk about doctrine and sound doctrine and studying the Bible, it may sound like, well, we all just sit down and open our Bibles and we all see the same thing. Now, there's some hard things in there. Peter admitted that. I figure if Peter could admit it, I probably ought to admit it. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.16, he said, Paul, 
You know, Brother Paul, he wrote a lot of letters, and man, he wrote some hard stuff. That's Brother Peter saying that. I've run into brothers today that they think they've got it all figured out. They're not as humble as Brother Peter. They say, I know what that means, and this means that, and you better believe that. Peter said, whew, there's some hard stuff. And that's the way Paul wrote. Here he wrote some heavy-duty doctrines that take some heavy-duty studying to get a grasp of. So in our list of all these doctrines, some are essential for salvation, some are uh, uh, truth and we need to understand them. There's some that are hard to understand. Fourth, we've got to acknowledge that there are disputable matters. There are things that we can't agree on. Doesn't mean we can't get along, but we're going to have different ideas about certain things. Romans 14 is the chapter that discusses that. Let's just look at a couple of verses from that. Verse 1, Paul starts out, says, You accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. He says within the church, there's going to be one person that understands this doctrine one way or how to apply this doctrine or how to apply this teaching and somebody that understands it a different way. And he says, you accept each other and don't pass judgment on this disputable matter. In fact, he goes further in verse 22. He says, in fact, whatever you believe about these things, you keep between yourself and God. Don't argue about it. Don't divide about it. Don't disrupt unity about it. Just keep it to yourself. It's okay. Now, that's the reason I call these different levels of doctrine. Whether God exists or not, whether Jesus is the Son of God or not, is not a matter to keep to yourself. It's not a matter to dispute about. It's indisputable. But there are some things that are disputable. Now, I almost put a fifth level on here, but I'm just going to mention it, but I didn't think it was worth spending much time on. Paul wrote to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1, 4, and then 4, 7 again. And he says, there are some teachings that are just foolish. There's some teachings that are just old wives' tales. There's some teachings that are myths. And he says, don't spend time on them. Have nothing to do with them. And if somebody's teaching them, tell them to stop teaching them. Now, (laughs) there are things like that. Since we're on TV and talk about knowing your Bible, we get stuff in the mail. It's really foolish. (laughs) There's some really crazy stuff that people have concocted, and they've got Bible verses in there. But they've got all kinds of weird ideas, and they're serious about them. I mean, they'll send you... Stacks of paper about it, won't they, Bill? They want you to believe this. You teach this. Well, Paul told Timothy, there's some stuff just isn't worth messing with. Uh, There's some stuff that's just foolish. So that's kind of a fifth level that we don't need to get into today. But having said what I've said about these different levels, let's think what that means. Let's make a list. If we made a list of Bible doctrines, teachings, beliefs, we would probably start up at the top, God exists. Everybody agree that's a good place to start? (laughs) God exists. 
Second, Jesus is the Son of God. Pretty good place. Jesus died for us. He paid the price for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. We'd start up there with those things that are essential to salvation. And then we'd list some doctrinal truths. And if we could put them in order, we'd probably decide that there's an order between things that are really, really clear and things that are really, really difficult. They're doctrinal truths, but they're hard to figure out. And we'd keep on going, and we'd get down into some things that we'd call disputable. Well, okay, you think this, and I'll think that, and we'll be just fine. Now, if we did that, we'd have 700 different lists. I understand that. They wouldn't be all exactly perfect. But if you just get the concept that between the essentials to salvation and the things that are disputable, while they're doctrines, they're things that are taught, They're of different levels, and they'd fall somewhere different on our list. Now, let's imagine that our job is to draw our line on this list, our line of salvation. You've got to believe these or you won't be saved. Where would that list be? It would be really high. It should be really high. That's the spiritual unity line. But then from what I said about truths and doctrines and all that, I think there might be another line we draw that's a fellowship line. We've got to agree on these things for us to be one, for, for us to be perfectly united in mind and thought. We've got to agree on these things. Without that agreement on this, we really can't worship together, function together, work together. Now, where we draw that line is a different matter. And those churches that put the ads out to say we want somebody in sound doctrine probably draw that line in different places. For instance, within one mile of where we sit, there are three church buildings. All three of us agree on the salvation essentials. All three of us believe that God is God, that Jesus is his son, that he died and buried and rose again for us, and that you need to repent and be baptized to be in Christ. That gives us spiritual unity. But among those three buildings, and the reason we have three buildings, is one group reasons differently about how you determine doctrine and how you study the Bible and what the silence of the Bible means. And they've decided it's okay to worship God in the public assembly with instruments. When they decided that, a line is drawn between them and us. Because we study the Bible and think about the silence of the Bible in such a way that We can't, in good conscience, do that. That that draws a line of fellowship. Another one of the buildings, and within a mile of this building, has reasoned about the Bible and things it says and the doctrines within it, and have come up with a doctrine, a teaching, that says you can and can't do certain things in the church building, And you can and can't do certain things with the money that goes into the collection plate. 
when they decided that, that draws a line of fellowship between us and them. Okay? Now, I don't intend to solve those problems. I'm not here to tell you what's right, wrong, or what I, where I stand on all that or how to fix it. What I want you to do is see the big picture. On our list up here, from salvation essentials down to disputable things, drawing that line somewhere and making it cause divisions prohibits perfect unity. Now, I'm not telling you how to fix that yet. I just want you to understand about the concept of being united in doctrine. Now, since we're talking about Northside, let me back up just a minute. I'm not saying we, we should draw the line just under the essentials. I think the other things are important. We've got to, there's some lines need to be drawn. But the higher we can draw that line, the more unity we'll have. The lower we draw it, the, the more split up in the little bitty groups and differing fellowships that we'll have. And if you remember what Jesus prayed for, he wanted us to be one. So in principle, the higher we can draw it in good conscience, the better off we are. But since we're talking specifically about Northside and not solving all the problems of the brotherhood, since we're talking about having a future sure foundation at Northside, remember this. Remember, wherever we draw the line, we've still got to go with 1 Corinthians 1.10. 1 Corinthians still the order. That's still our theme verse for this series. We've still got to agree with one another. We've still got to figure out a way to have no divisions. We've still got to figure out a way to be perfectly united in mind and thought. So here are some tips for being united in doctrine within our fellowship. A, remember that we are saved by grace, not by works, and not by doctrine. We're not saved by doctrine. I believe my doctrine of the Holy Spirit is better than some other people's doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But that is one of my slogans. That's not going to be on the entrance exam. That's not what saves us. We're saved by grace. B, to be united in doctrine, we've got to keep first things first. Acts chapter 15. Turn over there. I want you to read this yourself. It's a different time. It's a different doctrinal teaching, but it's a doctrinal teaching. In Acts chapter 15, there was a dispute in the church. Okay? The Jews who had been raised in Judaism believed that circumcision and practicing the law of Moses was still essential. So they said, all right, all Christians have got to follow this. You can see that in verse 5. Some of the believers, they were Christians, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. They took this teaching, they took the way they read the Bible, they took the way they understood things, and made it a must. They said all Gentiles must do this. 
Verse 11. What did the apostles say? Verse 11, no. Pretty clear answer. Those of the Pharisees said, you've got to believe this. This is essential. You must believe this. The apostle stood up and said, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Just as they are. They must not do that. That's not a must. We're saved by grace. Anytime division threatens, anytime this doctrinal Confusion comes along. Keep first things first. What saves us? What's important? What's the musts? Let's go back there every time. We sang a song earlier, the old rugged cross. And it said, someday I'll exchange that old rugged cross for a crown. I think there's people that believe they're going to exchange their list of doctrinal purity for a crown. They believe they're going to show up and show their position paper on marriage, divorce, and remarriage or some other topic that they think they have the absolute perfect pure doctrine. And they're going to show that to the guy at the gate and he's going to say, what is that? You are saved by the grace of God or you're not saved. Keep first things first. C, allow for different levels of maturity. Well, we got baby Christians in here, and we've got old, old Christians, very mature Christians. We're not going to agree on doctrine, folks. We're just not. The cradle roll over there on that far wing, they're learning that God is, and what an ark is, and who Noah was. Okay? On this side of the wing, the safari kids, they're learning the names of all the judges and the apostles and all sorts of things. If a fourth grader goes over to the cradle roll... And says, you little dummies, I can't fellowship with you because you don't know all the apostles. We'd say, hold it now, there's something wrong here. They're going to grow up eventually. That's the way we should be in the church. Bill and Cole are teaching a class on Wednesday nights now. They call it Green and Growing. It's the basics of Christianity. And I've taught a class like that before a number. I love it because you get brand new Christians in there. And I mean, it's amazing some of the stuff they believe. They've come out of all kinds of backgrounds and been taught all kinds of things. They, they have doctrines in their heads. They have teachings in their heads. They say, whoa, where'd you get that? And that's fun to work through. And the principle is they're green and they're growing. Right, Bill? Uh, that's the way we are in the church. We got all different levels of maturity. We learn as we go along. D. To have unity in doctrine, we can tolerate all kinds of opinions, but we can't bind them on others. That's where the division comes. That's where the unity is separated. That's where Paul got excited. Paul didn't tell those Jewish guys that they they couldn't practice circumcision, but when they wanted to bind it on somebody else, he got hot. He said some ugly things about them. Because having a belief, understanding a doctrine a certain way is one thing, but binding it on others and making it a must for somebody else is not the way to do it. It's not right. Paul got excited about that. I get excited about that. Our elders should get excited about that. 
There's all kinds of things that we believe from our study of doctrines that may or may not be of some importance. But we can't bind them on each other. I was talking to a young man that had come to Northside and had become a new member. And he he told me some topic that he believed, some doctrine that he felt pretty strongly about. And I said, well, that's okay if you believe that. I don't think that's right. But if you believe that, that's okay. But don't be trying to influence others. Don't be telling other people that they've got to believe that. It's not the way it works in a united church. And finally, E, to be united in doctrine, submit to the elders. If there comes a a thing on that line that we're really having a hard time deciding, that's what elders are for. They're wiser. uh, Their judgment is better. They look out for our souls. So if they make a decision on that, no, we're, we're going to believe it this way here and we're not going to practice this and we're not going to bind it on others and all that. Submit. That's how you stay united in doctrine. All right, enough tips. Being united in doctrine. Being united in doctrine seems hard. But it's really not that hard. It does take a Christian spirit. It does take love of each other. It does take a desire for unity. But it's possible, or Paul wouldn't have commanded us to be perfectly united. So we can do it. And if we follow those principles and tips of understanding what doctrine is and what's essential, I think we can do it just fine and we'll continue to do it just fine here at Northside. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we're going to make that possible for you. We're going to stand and sing a song. If you have any public need, we're going to invite you to come. Let's stand.